Hi, I'm Chuck Fletcher. Hi, my name is Olivia Young, coach of the Flyers. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hey, this is Jeremy Roenick. Hi, this is Travis Sanheim. Hi, I'm Paul Hogan. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, I'm Joel Fairby. Hi, this is Bob Clark. And you're listening to Snow the Goalie. 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 Oh, yes, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, boy. Do we have a lot to get into today on the Only Flyers podcast, the People's podcast, the Players podcast, the Prognosticators podcast, the PDLI podcast, the Presidential podcast, the Only Flyers podcast, Snow the Goalie. We're going we're gonna to get into a lot. I need everybody right now, wherever you're at, you're sitting, you're standing, you're driving, you're at work, you're eating, whatever you're doing, just go along with me for a second. Buckle up. Buckle up, baby, because we got a lot to get into today. Some of it, I'm sure, will make people happy. Some of it will make people very happy. And some of it will piss off a certain very small group within the Flyers organization. But before we get there, we're going to start out with positivity here on the Only Flyers podcast. Let me start first with the star of the Flyers alumni game, which we'll get into a little bit later. You know him. You love him. You can find him on Twitter at Cterian6. That, of course, is Bundy. Hey there, fella. Well, on guys, I had a I had a good time. I know that uh, you know I got a little razz in here and there, but I actually had some people saying, you know what, you look pretty good out there, and that's all you can expect. I mean, listen, I'll tell you right now, in all honesty, guys, uh, I had a pair of um, of skates that I used for the second time. Uh, the first time I used them was in the summer alumni game, and we played the Warriors, and that was the last time I skated before this game. So I actually to give myself a B overall uh, for for effort. Um, and uh, in productivity, it wasn't pretty. We had a couple of guys out there. I'll be honest with you. I will say really quickly before we move into the Flyers game, uh, like there were four guys that probably shouldn't have even been playing against some of the guys out there, like Upshaw and Lupul. Like, guys, get a life. Like, get an afterlife. There's more than men's leagues. Uh, you can actually go out and find other things to do other than skating every night. They were dominant. And it was like they came back and like in waves at us. I felt like I was playing like the 1998 Pittsburgh Penguins in a playoff series for a second. <laughs> Upshaw, Lupul, even Hartnell a little bit. He was he was moving. He's never really a good skater anyway, but I mean he gets up and down the ice okay. And then there was one more. Who am I missing? One more younger guy. Adam Danny? Hall. Oh, oh, Adam, oh, Adam Hall. No, I had Danny and Gags. Danny and Gags were good for us, but those guys, I don't know, they were just at a little a little different gear, I think, because they were more freshly retired. Gotcha. Gotcha. How you feeling? And then of course, uh, well, and, hey, and now now you hear, by the way, because we'll get there oh, in okay. a second. We got to get into Bundy's whole experience in a bit. Yeah. But. You just heard the other man on this podcast. That, of course, is Anthony Sanfilippo. Find him on Twitter, at AntSanPhilly. And by the way, support the Swarthmore. Swarthmore? Yes. Swarthmore. Players Club of Swarthmore, yeah. The Swarthmore Players Club. As uh, Anthony will be directing, anything goes. Here he is, Anthony Sanfilippo! Oh, thanks, Ross. <laughs> I appreciate that. Appreciate that. Yeah, I got to be honest. I mean, you know, and we're going to get into, the, like you said, we got a lot to get into. And and, and I'm, uh, I'm in a feisty mood. I was yesterday at the game, or pre-game, and all through the game and then even even still today uh so we're gonna get into that stuff but i, I want to know bundy how how you're feeling after playing uh your first game in in uh well i guess it was about a, uh, a little over a year right or did you well, play you this know, summer it was, it was in the summer so oh, it was June. this summer okay okay yeah it was right it was uh it, it coincided with the alumni golf tournament it was oh, okay yeah, okay it was uh, really it was like joe watson's celebration uh yeah, uh, you know, and, and it was a great event. We played the Warriors. And so that was the last time I was on the ice, but I was also in a little bit better shape than I was running. You know, when you get to late summer, early fall, I kind of slouch a little bit. I paid for it. The worst part, guys, we only had 4D aside, right? We had a couple guys come back. Trust me, I don't care 4D in a men's league, in a pickup game. It is a nightmare. And uh, the first period was the worst. I'll fill you in, in a little bit on the rest of it. It was a good time, though. We had a really good time. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. But before we get into all that, uh, Flyers Flames last night, it's actually a pretty entertaining hockey game. I mean, look, they, they, neither team was perfect. There were, there were a lot of mistakes. Um, there was really good goaltending both ways. Both Carter Hart and, and uh, Jacob Markstrom both played really well. Um, I thought the Flyers got better as the game went on. I thought they started slow. Uh, second period was an utter track meet. There was 32 shots between the two teams. Yeah. And then the third period, you know, the Flyers were really good, I thought, in the third period. And then they take advantage of a uh, Johnny Gaudreau uh, turnover in overtime to get the game-winning goal by Cam Atkinson. Um, really just a, a, an overall fun and entertaining game down at the Wells Fargo Center last night. And the one thing we could say, I mean, even though the Flyers are not playing at the at their best level, they're getting good, great goaltending. But even there's another thing, a little bit of resilience from this team. They've lost six games this year. Every time they've lost a game, they've come back the next game and won. Yeah, so that's record, right. Yeah. That's pretty good, right? The only team that's six, I believe they're six zero and zero now, Anthony. After yeah. after that, so yeah. And again, just kind of my recap from seeing that game last night. You know, first of all, it's pretty. It's far past apparent that the Flyers can't score. They just can't score uh, at this point in the season. I mean, they're winning. They're winning games that are two one. Uh, the last night was an entertaining 2-1, you know, victory got to overtime. There was some chances both ways, a little bit of physicality, uh, but this team can't score goals, uh, you know, in, in masses or bunches. I mean, they've scored two goals. I mean, it's amazing when you take a look at the last uh, three games, they, they had, um, uh, they, they've scored two, two goals in each of the games and came away with four points. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you now though, that's not a formula for success. The wheels, those, that's a, that's a paper champion at that point where you, I know you're winning tight games, but you're depending on your goaltender to right. do it. Well, there, and I eventually think that those wheels are going to fall right off the cart. They always do. I'll take you back a little further, Bundy. You go back nine games. They've got 15 goals in their last nine games and they're five, three and one. I mean, and that's all, that's all goaltending. Really? I mean, when you think about it, I mean, you're, you get 11 points in, in nine, um, nine games when you've only scored 15 goals. That's all. That's all good goaltending. That's all it is. Yeah. Well, the wild thing. Game. I mean, yeah. if we want to use some numbers here, because you know how much we love numbers on Snow the goalie. Uh, right now, because of the the issue that they found themselves in this goal scoring drought, which, by the way, we talked about going into the season about like you know until Kevin Hayes is back, what does this look like? And they they outperformed expectations early in the season. But if we're being real here, the the recent slump here has seen them drop. <laughs> considerably down the NHL team leaders right now they're averaging 2.71 goals per game that's 23rd in the league the thing that has been their salvation and you guys mentioned it already is Carter Hart is the goaltending I mean we're gonna even throw Martin Jones in there as well because he's outplayed expectations right now the Flyers are allowing the third fewest goals per game at 2.43 that is only behind the Calgary Flames who averaged 2.13 against and the Carolina Hurricanes who averaged 1.93 against so if there's one bright spot, and if there's one thing that we've talked about ad nauseum on this show, it's the fact that good goaltending can cover up a lot of deficiencies with a team. When you get elite level goaltending, which I think it's pretty safe to say we have seen in large stretches here by Carter Hart early in the season, that's how you end up weathering the storm and not bottoming out when you have an inability to put the puck in the back of the net. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's been it's been difficult. I mean, goals have been tough to come by. They've had some chances, but they're just not finishing. And, you know, that's a team that that scares me most when you get the chances and they're not going in. Uh, it tells you that that, you know, that can become a, a, a problem through the course of the year. We'll see what happens, guys. They've, they've been like this before where everybody wondered if they scored and they, they break out of it. I think 
Again, I'm ready to ride the trend of what is the NHL. I think some now everything is such a roller coaster. Even the course of hockey games now, the momentum swings you see. You know, I was saying, saying that to John LeClaire the other night at the alumni game. I'm like, I've never just seen a, a momentum swings like these in hockey games anymore, where one team dominates for eight minutes, the other team takes it back a little bit, they push back. It's nothing like just neutral, you know, even both teams pounding each other kind of hockey anymore. It's very, very uh, momentum swinging. It's um, very basketball-esque. It, like when you, you know think what, of Rob? like the 10 runs, yeah. 8 runs, 19-2 runs, that, yeah, it's weird. I, I Is it because the game has gone to more of this speed and the, the idea of top to bottom going with speed and technique and skill rather than having, you know, what, what had been perceived, you know, maybe as like a, a bottom, what a bottom sixer looks like or what a, a fourth line looks like. Is that part of the, the fallout? Is this one of the evolving things that we now see in the game that, the momentum can shift and swing so, you know, insanely. It, it does go up and back and forth a lot. Like I've never seen before, but you know, it's it, the one thing I, I don't know if we want to save it for now or for the alumni piece, but you know, one thing you find out when you go to an alumni game is really truly the state of the game from everybody's perspective. It's amazing how guys share what they're seeing now compared to what once was you know, I'll say this, guys, going to last night's game. Who was the most noticeable player on the ice last night in that hockey game? Both sides. One guy stood out more than everybody to me. Goudreau. He took 10 oh, shots. He was at, goal. From a skill standpoint, yeah, he was on – it was his hometown game. But the other guy, you know, he took three penalties was Matthew, oh, Matthew Kachuk. Kachuk. Yeah, yeah. He got in everybody's face. Now, let yeah. me tell you, back when I played, whether you wanted to do that or not, you had to deal with that every single night. Now it's almost like a, like a rocking chair league. You know, guys are polite to each other. You're supposed to go out with a more of a competitive edge, but that's the one thing when you talk to the alumni where they're like, I don't know what happened, but the game has changed and not for the better. And the one thing you hear, guys, is somebody better fix it and fix it fast because I'm telling you whether they want to admit it or not, attendance is a problem in Philadelphia and certainly league-wide, but it's gone down because it's not what it used to be. And that's, it's amazing how revealing an alumni game can be. And a lot of it transcended to that game last night, you know, things that stuck out last night to me in that game. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, it's weird Bundy because you watch this game, the way it's played and you're, you're spot on with that. I mean, there's no, there is no animosity between teams anymore. You don't, you don't dislike the other team like you used to. Right. Um, but the game plays a lot more North South than East West. And what I mean by that is there was a lot of play uh, that I remember that used to be along the, along the half wall, along the, even, even in the neutral zone, there was a lot of play that took place on the sides of the ice. And, and then now everything is right down the middle. Everything is in the middle of the ice. They stay away from contact. You know, you try and find, okay, you got some space, dump it in and then go get it. If not, try and carry it in. Maybe you turn it over, it comes back the other way. It's just a lot of, it's stick checking. It's poking the puck. It's not, it's not what it used to be. It's not take the man. It's not, you know, let them skate and then bury the hell out of them when you get, when you get along the boards like that, that's not in the game anymore. Yeah. Or the, the, I mean, the other thing too, we the guys are laughing about like the cross checking. Yeah. Like there's times now where a guy just kind of, pushes a guy angles him and it's a cross shame and you're like well wait a minute you know there used to be like you hear you know again listen i and i know there's a changing time and there's been more health concerns with concussions and, and ct you know all that the, the ct that goes on with guys and i and listen i've had concussions in my life 
I wouldn't turn back the clocks and change the game to the way they're playing it now for my era, because, uh, you know, I mean, that's the way it was played, but um, you know, there's, there's something I've always learned, like, you know uh, you know, when I came in, I think a lot of guys, we talked about this, you know, toughness in the sport. Uh, there's most guys don't come in tough. You kind of get brought into the fray and you're made whatever variable of tough there was back then. But the one thing that I, I, I've lost that the game's lost the value in is that the fact that like, you know, whatever happened to the one-on-one battle in the corner, you know, or paying a price in front of the net to, to get open. Being in front of the net, guys, like over the years, if there's a player like John LeClaire, tell you he's a winger or anybody, Wayne Simmons, dealing with a big defenseman. Nobody was getting cross-checked in the head. You're just trying to move the guy out in front of the net. That's battling. You know, that's yeah. part of it. And well, it's that's interesting because cool. you mentioned that, and like I'm watching the game last night, and there was at one point in the third period where you talk about Kachuk, he comes in front of the net and Ristolainen's on the ice. Yeah. And the two of them are just – back and forth like hitting each other and you know fighting for that ice right in front of the goal crease and i'm like wow it's been a while since you saw that like where where is that in the game it just doesn't exist and it was kind of cool to see for one one shift to have it out there uh in the game because you had two players who are a little bit more of a throwback mentality in the way that they play going at it on the ice and that's a good thing that made that made for good hockey for that 30 seconds and people okay, like that. They want the effort right I'll, let me finish sorry ross I, it just said people want to see competitiveness you know mm-hmm. i go to eagles games i love going down there and spending time with the kids and you know what but once in a while i want to see somebody get absolutely lambasted a big hit and you can see the energy rise on the sideline it's the same thing in hockey you're mm-hmm. allowed to hit it's it's a there's a little bit of violence involved in these you know these physical sports and sometimes things happen, but I can tell you the way the thing is now, guys, in the league, I don't believe there's a lot of malicious people that want to go out and hurt, but they somehow have got to find a way to get more people back into the sport of hockey. And I do believe it. People won't hear it. It, it, it will have to involve more physicality. And that doesn't mean... Isn't, like, isn't that, say, wait, isn't that exactly fighting. what... Uh... Isn't that exactly what uh, Sidney Crosby did in his return to lineup? You guys see that play? Wraps the guy up and yeah, chucks him head first in the boards. Yeah. yeah, you know. I mean, that would that would result in a uh, lifetime suspension to a Flyers player else. if they did it themselves. Yeah. But you know, but just to just to be clear, there. just to be clear here, Bunny. So it doesn't so people don't think that we're a bunch of you know, um, you know, uh, old guys yelling at the clouds, right? I mean, right. You're, you're not you're not suggesting that all of a sudden we go back to got to drop the gloves all the time. It's not about, no. it's not about fighting. It's about the physical play between the whistles that is allowed in the sport. Guys, I, that all that stuff after the whistle that you see sometimes it's fun, but it's a waste of time. I'm not promoting that or saying that that's what needs to happen. They need to elevate the competitiveness of the players involved on the ice. And I'm not saying those players have to learn that. I believe they all have that because the game of hockey the other night in the game, right, there was a loose puck behind the net. Now, listen, I'm, I'm half the speed I used to be. I'm probably 40 pounds heavier. But I went back for the puck because I saw the puck. It was the third period. I fell into the boards, but I realized that if I got the puck to brash. These are just things that kick into your mind. And I was just saying it that it was an alumni game. But if you're in a real NHL game, let your emotions control what you do in that game. And that's what's so great with hockey is the chaos that ensued with it. You know, remember before in the 90s, one thing I love. Fans don't tell me they went to games to watch a fight, but they went to the games sometimes, especially in Philadelphia, sitting on a powder cake. And there's nothing better than that as a fan where you're like, wow, somebody just hit him. There's a reaction over there and you can feel the buildup in the building. You've been there, guys. You know what that's like where you're like, oh, man, this is going to get ugly. Yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. 
And that's well, a major problem for this league. They can't figure it out and they better do it quick. Yeah. Like, let me, let me just kind of put on, I guess the fan cap for a second um, in college. So this would have been, I guess, 2011, 2012. He's so young. Right? <laughs> so those in those years, when yes. I would go to, when I, I just don't, don't even, don't do the math, Bundy. All right. We don't need your, we don't, we don't need smoke coming out of the ears. All right. We've done enough physically with the alumni game. I don't need to blow your, your mind now. Okay. Uh, but when, when I would go to those games, right. I would, I would expect powder keg moments. Part of the, the allure to going to a game in the early tens, right. Was, and, and obviously before that, but specifically that time frame was you'd go into a packed house, you would go into arguably the best atmosphere in all of sports and all of Philadelphia sports, I would say bar none. And you knew that there were, there would be hell to pay if someone from the opposition got into it with a dirty hit or got into it with a, a trip at the wrong time or the cross check or a check into the boards that the fans didn't like. And you would get that atmosphere of almost like, like a, like a Roman Coliseum, right? Everybody is in on the opposition. They're in on the um, the player who laid the hit or did whatever. They're on the refs for the no calls. They're, you're part of that that entire atmosphere that that that's being built up. That kind of mimics what's going on on the ice. And covering the team now, this is I guess the third season I think that I've I've been doing this. You don't feel that. And I don't think it's because there there's like an inherent detachment that has to happen when you go from being allowed to like drink beer and scream at players as a fan versus when you sit up at, at, in like press row. Right. I don't think it's that. I think it's that what we're seeing time and time again and what we have seen over the last few years, especially is a, a game that has tried its hardest to litigate that out of the game, to build rules and to implement procedures, officiating procedures that try to get that out of the game. And to me, that, that kind of takes away part of what the allure of hockey was. It takes away part of the physicality. It takes away part of the, the gladiator nature of, of what hockey always was and what people were so drawn to. It's the same kind of thing that people go after the NFL for trying to, you know, take out of the game, the physicality. You, you see flags for, you know, illegal touching down the field because a, a defensive back put his hands on a receiver six yards beyond the line of scrimmage. Yeah. And you you yeah. think about like the, the old segments on ESPN, like you just got jacked up and how like that was a big thing. Big hits were encouraged. That's part of what people, you know, fell in love with football for. They've done the same thing in hockey. And on the rare occurrence that, you know, somebody does lay an illegal hit or there is a, a moment that should be met with brutality or should be met with some kind of physicality by the Flyers. For years, we saw this team not answer the, the call. The bell gets rung. They don't answer the call. In fact, a lot of times they just kind of retreated from any kind of actual interaction or any kind of conflict. The one thing that maybe is encouraging is something that we talked about back to the preseason. I think we have seen it at points this season is that this team does stand up for one another on the, in the occurrences that or the instances where there are questionable hits or questionable plays. And I, I want to focus for a second here on Rasmus Ristolainen who had a strong game and who after the game, uh, a lot of the Twitter pundits who typically uh, had been anti-Ristolainen said that he didn't have it. He wasn't going to have it. 
what he excels at is no longer part of the game. He had a solid game. If you see that kind of Rasmus Ristolainen, does this team have the ability to weather the storm defensively with Ryan Ellis being out now week to week injured reserve? Can, can this Ristolainen live up to the task? Um, I'll answer first. I, yeah, I, I agree. I thought he had a great game last night. Um, I just don't know if he can do that every night. That's a lot to ask from, you know, from a guy to play like that when he had nine hits, uh, he had yeah. an assist. Mm-hmm. I mean, he looked a little bit like Brian Leach, uh, a little bit like Scott Stevens all wrapped in the one ball last night. And, um, I don't think that that's going to continue. He had himself a heck of a night though. That's for sure. And if he can play like guys, I love the physicality, you know, like Anthony said, you know, battling in front. What that does too is it sends a message to you to other guys and on your bench. You go out and compete hard. You know that's one thing with him. Like a guy like that, you know, you, you know he's got the he's a, he's not a numbers guy. He doesn't transcend well with the numbers, which man, whatever that means. I hate numbers anyway. Like if you're coaching using analytics, you shouldn't be coaching. If you're just depending strictly on that, you should be like working at a math, in a math class somewhere. As a tool, fine. As the be all end all, and trusting that over yeah, eye test, be all, etc. Yeah, I had a piece when I was writing articles for the Flyers, and they got so scared of an article I wrote about analytics, they literally shit themselves and cut the article right out. It was unbelievable. It was a great, and I had five quotes from five NHL coaches that were basically like, yeah, some kid brings the sheets down and I chuck them in the trash because I already know all the crap they're giving me anyway. You know, these guys who go out and promote these analytics and they expect coaches to coach like that. You know what? Gabe Kapler had a good year, right? He's an analytics coach. He won the anal- mm-hmm. uh, NL manager of the year. I'm going to tell you right now, you could mark it down. That guy will never win a World Series coaching with numbers. I don't care. He can get as far. You get that far. But eventually, you're going to run into someone like a Dusty Baker who's got a little bit of old school, and his players are going to buy into it over a seven-game series, and those numbers are going to go by the wayside. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he already did make a misjudged play on a numbers play in the playoffs that cost San Fran in that series. Oh. You know, I don't want to talk about baseball. I love baseball. I'm a, I, I've been watching it for years. But my point is, is that that's one of the changes that's happened in the game, and people are relying on it, especially uh, the media in a lot of ways. Ristolainen played a fine game last night, guys. I really appreciated that effort. I'd love to see it every night. But for him to recreate that kind of uh, a thing every single night, the way he plays, it's, 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 it's impossible. It's almost like he's a kind of guy, Bundy, that needs the game to be at that tipping point uh, emotionally. Chaotic a little bit. To, to play that style of game, right? So to, yeah. to really kind of get into the game and play as well as he did. Whereas if the game's a little bit sleepier, that's when you see Ristolainen and make the mistakes that he makes. And when you play for a team like Buffalo, who was so bad, there's going to be a lot of sleepy nights, and that's why he probably looked as bad as he did. So you, you got to hope that you have a little bit more energetic and, and chaotic games if you're the Flyers to get a better version of Ristolainen. Is that a, a thing? Like, Bundy, is there anything that you saw in his game last night that you've been looking for or that you've been hoping he would do that that is replicable, that he can do again and again? Like, has, has he gotten better at picking his moments to lay the big hit and not – you know, uh, not being able to then get possession of the puck and, and get out. Like that seems to be one thing he's gotten better at doing is the hits meaningful and it's dispossessing the puck and it's sending play the other way. Like, has that improved in your eyes or is there something else? You know what, guys, when I first watched him, it was actually interesting because I think it was maybe one of the flyers, actually might have been Bill Meltzer or Jason. Mer- one of the two of them asked me, they said, do you think Ristolainen, just they were asking a defensive question to me, just, you know, socializing. 
is he taking bad angles to the puck carrier going around the side? And, and I, so I started watching for a couple of games and he was, it was like, he was cutting at an angle where you're going to the guy in the corner. who's was like, in, like a day late and a dollar short on that. And he'd lose his coverage. So I was thinking if I was coaching, what I would tell the, tell the kid is that, you know, you don't have to, first of all, don't always read your own press clippings where someone says you're a guy that's going to run around. Don't, you don't always have to do that. You can be smart. So I think last night, guys, he's been able to play physical. He's got a little bit more confidence he had with the puck, but he's done a better job not actually running right out of position from the front of the net to go to the corner. And when there's been an angle play, I think he's done a better job of containing uh, a lot of that. And you know, it's hard when guys are going wide with speed, you know, they're trying to get around you to get to the, the near side post. Uh, I think he's done a better job of that. But at, at first, you know, Bill, you know, Bill knows the game. And I, and I, I agree that the, I think there's, there's been a learning curve. And I think with a guy like Ristolainen, in a lot of ways, guys, he was in like, you know, and Buffalo has been a dumpster fire since the day he came in. And I said this on the podcast before every single year I watched him because I was down ringside, he was getting worse every year in Buffalo. Like he was not flourishing. He was not developing. Uh, and, and again, you know, little things, if the, one of the coaches has said something to him or worked with him, uh, which I think they obviously have to, uh, he's done a better job of angling because that's such a big part of being a defenseman now in that league. It's just taking your angles because the speed's just too high. And I wanted to throw this to you really quick. That This is now, what, the second time that they played the Flames this year. Um, prior to that, they had played the Oilers when they were on the road. And that was a game that we came onto the show and, and we lauded. We, we talked about the fact that that high scoring, high energy kind of hockey is something that we don't see a lot of. And then you see the game last night where you see like a, a period where there's a crooked number in terms of shots that are put up. You, you see a, a slightly different style of play maybe than you're more accustomed to. Is it safe to say that, I don't want to say all West Coast teams because it, it, it's too wide of a brush to, to paint with, but is the game that's being played out West more like what we grew up loving about hockey or is it just, are, are these just a couple of outliers? Because it seems like the game that you're used to seeing metropolitan division teams play stylistically and aesthetically is so different than what we've seen in a, in a few of these games with West Coast teams. Well, I'll say this, Russ. I, I don't necessarily think that it's it's an East versus West thing. Um, Edmonton and Calgary for sure play that way. And that's, that's entertaining and that's good hockey. That's great. Um, but if you look at some of the other games the Flyers have played this year, I, I think that the game against Florida had a little bit of that. Um, you know, Florida won that game, but I think that it had a, a little bit of that edge to it. Um, I thought that the game in Carolina had it a little bit, and I thought that the game against Washington too. I mean, so so I mean, those are three Eastern Conference teams who are pretty good. So I think it's really gotten to the point where good teams are playing that way, right? I mean, maybe maybe that's like this the slight shift in the sport, you know, every time, every, it's always a copycat league, right? What did the, what did the best team do last year that we can do to try and model that and be like that, that team. I think that the slight shift has been that to play it with that little bit of a little bit more of an edge, a little bit more up tempo, a little bit more physical style. And I think that you're looking at some of the best teams in hockey this year are playing that game. And that's, you know, that, and that's credit to, that's credit to them for, for figuring it out and doing it. And that, that's why they're off to such great starts. And we've just been kind of fortunate that the schedules work the way it has to get some of those games early in the season. But I, I think there's, you know, the slog is still ahead. I mean, we, you know, we're like, you know, we talked about how the Flyers have a, a tough schedule here, but at some point they're going to get the weaker end of the schedule and we're going to start to see some really bad hockey. <laughs> 
it's going to come through. Uh, and it's just kind of it's just the way it is, right? I mean, they're going to be playing some some weaker weaker teams, um, and that's just the, and that's just the way it is. But it's it's been good to see some good teams early. Hopefully, the Flyers can take that and carry it through, even against some of the weaker teams. But uh, you know, you never know. You always end up playing to the level of your opponent, right? I mean, that's just oh, this and this team over the yeah. pack with this same with the same group at the top. I mean, listen, guys, they fumbled the ball miserably over the years against awful opponents down the stretch. So it's good they're winning these games, but they they have a, a really, really tough road to hoe because everybody's right there tight together. And it'll probably end up coming down to one or two bad losses for one of those teams that doesn't make it at the end of the year. But pile on, you know, getting these getting a point like that. You know, I, I really thought, you know, Calgary had that one nothing lead. I mean, what did you guys think? I, I, I thought last night for the most part, I thought Calgary looked like the better team that had the deeper chances, a little bit more of that momentum in the offensive zone. And I just didn't fly. The Flyers didn't quite have that push, but I don't, you know, again, I, I think Calgary's a very good team. Uh, they're very top heavy. They're a little younger at their younger guys. You know, they have some younger players, but you know, again, and you talk about the physicality, Russ, you know, the emotions that involved, you know, you have to have a cast of characters that also are willing to do that. You know, Matthew Kachuk's a guy that loves to get, get a game stirred up. And, and there's obviously a lot of energy as, as there was before when he had that incident with Edmonton. And so there's a, that rivalry goes back. And he probably started a lot of that, but I love the physicality and that's really what the game needs. And that's why the, the, there is, and I agree the Florida game. And you know what else? Florida is not like a vanilla team. You know, they got a cast of characters down there, guys that are willing to compete that have been around a little bit. You know, Arizona is a dumpster fire, right? Uh, like I can't name, I can name maybe three players on their four to players on their team. They're just, they're a disgrace to hockey. They are, they're, they're pathetic. They have nobody on their team. They don't compete. Uh, it, it's awful. Jacob Chikrin's a bright spot. That poor kid needs to get out of there soon. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's the opposite of what, what right. the team of the Calgary, the Flyers, or at least the Flyers are all trying to get guys like in the summer to try to make moves. Whether they work or not, they're still trying to make their team better, right? And right. And, and, they get it, and that's my point with a team like Arizona or even an awful expansion draft like Seattle. I mean, that's a disservice to your fans coming out of the gate. I mean, yeah, you know, just, I, mean, I don't want to look at the whole schedule, but I mean, just look at the next week, week and a half. Flyers play Tampa, Boston, Tampa, Florida, Carolina. I mean, it's it's going to be it's going to be some like really good teams, and you're going to have to play up to that level in order to win a couple of those games. Five most important games of the year, probably. Yeah, and the shame the shame in all of this is that they should have been getting Ryan Ellis back from injury, have that defensive core solidified, ready for this stretch, and instead he retweaked the same injury on Saturday that had taken him out for, for quite some time. He's now on injured reserve. I think he's out for, is it six weeks at least now as part of IR? I mean, he's out for a while. They, they said he was yeah, week ten, to week, 10 games, right? I think it's, it's IR. 10 games, right? I so 10 games or 30 days, whatever comes first. I think that's what I'll IR go on is. record and say, I'm going to stick with six weeks, it's six weeks until we see him back. Like, is, like here's, a, here's a better one. Does he, does he play 20, does he play 25 games for this team this year? Uh, it depends on how severe the injury is. I mean, is he going to get surgery for it? I mean, that's what's that's what's got to be figured out, right? Yeah, it's a it nagging is- injury too. I mean, the the issue with it, right, is that if he tweaked it like that just from Saturday alone, if they were to put him on ice for say the next week, week and a half, to try to rehab and and to just rest, there's no saying that two games back he's not going to tweak it again. So it's I guess. Three so, this so then, injury. And so 
I guess that kind of leads us to a question that we didn't really think that we'd have to contemplate at this point in the season, at least going in. Um, at what point does Chuck Fletcher have to consider trying to make an acquisition on the blue line? Because if this ends up being something that's going to shut him down for, you know, considerable amount of time or is going to, you know, take him out of the lineup regularly, they have to, they have to do something, right? Because Cam York hasn't played exceptionally well in the A. Um can't really imagine that they want to rely on Igor Zamula. Can't imagine that you want Sealer to be your sixth defenseman. Yandel's had really bad moments at five on five. Can't, I mean, do you see them just trying to weather this storm one more stretch until Ellis comes back and then make a decision? Or do you think Fletcher's going to go out on the market right now and get the wheels turning on another acquisition? It's hard. I, I don't know what you're going to get, right? Like you got, you got to get a lot of money tied up in Ellis. So unless you get some cap relief, uh, it's a, that's a tough question. Uh, you know, what, where, what are you going to get? You know, you, you know, it, I would say to make a move like that, you'd probably have to make a very, uh, it would probably have to be a bigger move than you'd think, Russ. I would think, like I just mentioned Jacob, Jacob Chikrin. I'd love to have that kid on the flyer, but what's that going to cost to get you? My point is if you can get him, or a player like that, where you got to give away a little bit more, go ahead and do it if that's what you think you need, because you're gonna have you're gonna fix a long term situation. But if you're gonna go plug a, a hole by getting some another version of Keith Yandel, that's not gonna work. Right. That's just putting a body in. So you may as well go to the minors for it. You know, Cam York, you may not know like until I've seen guys in the minors that have played worse in the minors than they do in the NHL. Maybe that might be the case with him. That happened. That does happen a lot. It's frequent, to be quite honest with you. So. Um, is it a bad position to put him in? Because you, the thought had been, if he plays really well in the AHL and Yandel gets close to the Ironman streak, gets past the Ironman streak, York is playing well, you insert him in, it's a low pressure situation. If the idea is you're going to bring York up, he'll probably, you would think he would play third pair of minutes. But like, if you were to bring him up, then the optics of it, at least for some fans, would then be, oh, Cam York's the savior, he's the salvation. And then you start putting unrealistic expectations on a young player, adds another layer of pressure to a team that is in a real dogfight in the Met. Yeah, and, and you know, it's funny, too, with a guy like Keith Yandel. So that's another, and, that, and, and they've got themselves an issue with that also, guys, with that um, uh, with that record. You know, when you're a, you're a coach like that, if you have a guy who's older in his career, he's obviously an older player, uh, and he's not having the great five-on-five five nights you want. How is AV going to scratch that guy? You can't. Right. Well, he dresses every single night until he gets above and beyond that game, no matter how he plays. Because if Vino, he could be the worst player. He could be minus five in their next game. He's still going back in the game after that. It doesn't matter. Because AV cannot be the guy who sits that guy as he's approaching that record, the Ironman record. Keith Yandel's got a is the only guy in that team that's got a free pass to do whatever he wants every single night. Yeah, and I guess he gets to that record though, and it's not too far off. It's January twentieth would be the day he sets that record, so it wouldn't have to be much longer after that where you could technically pull him out once he sets it. Right. Yeah, and, so. I, and you know what? All in all, guys, I mean, he's been fine. You know, he can't be perfect every night. Like, right. He's had a couple hiccups, but he's had hiccups his whole career five on five. Right. You know, I've watched him no his different. entire career. It's not, it's not pretty in the zone. It's not. He's a yeah. power play defenseman that moves the puck pretty well. And that's it. All right, guys. I think now we've had our, our, we've had our rainbows. We've had our smiles. We've had our positivity. And now we need to get into some of the things that led up to that game. 
uh, including there was the Flyers alumni game, which uh, some of our listeners may or may not have heard of. I know that there were a lot of people in the Delaware Valley who had no idea it was going on. Even some of the most ardent Flyers fans I know didn't even know the alumni game was going on. We'll get there in a second. And then, of course, we had the alumni. Um, the alumni were back in the building. Uh, many of them were for the Hall of Fame induction of Paul Holmgren and Rick Tockett. Um, they were there. And I'm guessing based on some of what I saw uh, around the time of the induction, um, they probably, the alumni themselves, if we assume there were like 20, 30 in the building, that represented, I, again, buddy math. I think that's probably about 25% of the people who were in attendance for the uh, induction ceremony that started at 6.30. The ticket said the game started at 7.30, but you have to go to Twitter or to Facebook to find out that the induction ceremony was happening at 6.30. Very interesting, interesting choice. Uh, I don't know where we go first, guys. I, I kind of feel well, like let's, the let's, alumni let's game. Talk, yeah, let's talk about the alumni game because Bundy played in it. He's got some stories and let's let's get into that a little bit first. So we're going to talk, talk about it. What was it? What was the experience like? How was it? How did it go for as far as you're concerned? You know, it's really good guys. Like I had a great time seeing the guys, you know, I, I, yeah, I played first of all for Paul uh, and for, and for talk, you know, talk was a great teammate of mine and Paul, you, as you guys know, uh, over the years, been a, a very, very good friend of mine and has been a tremendous asset to me as he's been for many players. So he's a, tr- both respected guys. Uh, so I was very, very proud to, to take a skate out there. And that was for those guys. I didn't care how I looked. You know, I wanted to be there for Brad Marsh, who does an amazing job, by the way. Uh, I don't think people understand how important Brad Marsh is to the alumni uh, organization for the, for the Flyers. Uh, the players, he, he, the access he gives the players uh, that they're still thought of. In, in, in ways uh, that you're supposed to be, but the game itself was great uh, as they always do. You know, uh, he got the right people in. Uh, you have, uh, you've had older guys, uh, someone almost 80 playing and you had guys that were, like I said, not too far removed from the NHL. That was not me, the 80 year old. Uh, Wait, who, who, uh, who played that was almost 80. Yeah. Uh, that would be Joe Watson. <laughs> oh, Hey, you know what, before, before we go forward, I, I wanted to give you an opportunity because uh, there, there we were the other day and Anthony sends me a text and then calls me which is usually reserved for very important things. And I guess this was to him. So he hit me twice with communication. He said, Russ, you got to go back and clip this because Bundy's going to have to respond. So um, <laughs> Joe Watson and, and, uh, and, and Bundy here ended up being a point of conversation on the, uh, the WIP morning show. Somebody, I want to let you listen to this and then uh, respond. Years ago, everybody makes mistakes. <laughs> And, and <laughs> Joe, Joe Watson at 78 years old he was did. out playing. All right, let me tell you right 78. now. He played better than Terrian, too. <laughs> oh, my God. If Joe Watson, he played better than Terrian. Hell, yeah. I heard Terrian get in a couple of fights. Is yeah, that true? Did. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Putting his gear on. It was bound to happen. <laughs> <laughs> he got in fights with his gear. It was a battle. <laughs> Jay is on the line. Hi, Jay. Good morning. All right. So that, of course, uh, Al Morgani and uh, and Keith Jones uh, ribbing Bundy. All right, Bundy. You know what? Those, to, uh, you know what? Let me say respond. this. Guys, those, two, those two guys have 50 games compl- combined played for the Flyers. They have more media say than, than the guys that played 750 games for them. I, I, you know, I love, well, first of all, Jonesy, I, I, I've been their target for many years because I think that Jonesy knows I can handle it and I have a good sense of humor. But, uh, you know, Al, I, I love those guys. But Jesus, has anybody done 
more with their career that played did absolutely nothing in this city as an athlete than Jonesy. Seriously, what he play like forty games here? Had two busted knees. He looked like an old dog, like a three-legged dog on the ice when he played. It was an embarrassment. And I used to sit there with guys going, can you believe this guy's playing another night in the NHL? It's an amazing – it was amazing. And, of course, I joke about the two of them combined playing 50 games because Al played none. He'll tell right. you he was a superstar at BU, the club hockey team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but I love, you know what? I love those guys. You know what? I mean, I broadcasted with both of them for years. And – um I will say, you know what, I commend Joe Watson. He was out there working his rear end off, uh, and he did a great job. It, it was hard, man. I'll tell you what, there are guys like Breer and Gagne coming at you. You're 78 years old. Uh, I felt the same way, too. I, there's times I did feel pretty old out there, especially the first period. Yeah. But I, I, I think that that's classic. <laughs> that's pretty – it's pretty – you know, it's, I think it's pretty amazing that Joe Watson gets out there. Funny. And just, just, just to get on the ice – I mean, it was kind of like it was kind of like when they put uh, when Bernie got out there uh, at the alumni game at the uh, uh, Citizens Bank Park. Citizens Bank Park. Yeah. I mean, you know, as a goalie, I mean, and you know, where was Bernie? He didn't even go. I think yeah, he, 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 he had, had surgery, surgery, right? Yeah. yeah, he had surgery. Yeah, that's why he couldn't be there. Um, but I mean, that was kind of like you know, it was kind of like when Bernie did that. I mean, that was that was really impressive. I mean, especially because he's a goalie, right? You got to throw yourself around on the ice a little bit. Um, Reggie Leach played for one period, guys, and then he yeah. uh, saw him in the hitting the showers after the first. He's like, "Well, that was fun, boys." I'm like thinking to myself, "Geez, we could have used him back on defense like that." Even out the- we only have four defensemen. People, like I said earlier, people have no idea what that's like with four defensemen guys on each side. Like I, I saw Mike Keenan looking down, I'm like, "Look, I was like, you guys are all right." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and none of the forwards wanted to help you guys out. Like we did. No, Danny, Danny, uh, Danny Knubel, uh, and Simone came back uh, periodically, but we mostly went with four. And when they, we got like a, you know, uh, another rest with an extra two guys going out, that was a huge benefit for us, but it was tough. It, you know, I remember the winter classic game that we played back in, uh, you know, the one at the citizens bank park. Uh, we had eight defensemen on the team. That's, that's a huge difference. So, right. you know, you go out right. there and save up your air, but you know, uh, Brad Marsh was our best defenseman uh, guys. The guy, the, the thing, it was a great event, you know what? But like I said earlier, it's amazing. The things you hear from players, you know, like about the state of the game. And that was the most revealing thing, you know, about what, what players think of it now. Well, yeah, you know, the reason we got to ask you questions about this Bundy, I mean, in, unless you were in attendance, you couldn't see it. Oh, well, couldn't well. see the game. Wasn't yeah, available well, on, wasn't available on NBC sports, Philadelphia, or, NBC Sports Philadelphia Plus, because you know, there's there's so much. There was a good infomercial, I'm sure, that was running to try to send you a new wave oven. Yeah, okay. And nor nor was it streaming on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com or their Uh, YouTube channel, which, by the way, is where they stream post game press availability. Which, as I brought up to a member of the organization before the puck dropped, is also where they happen to uh, you know stream practices during training camp. Never mind the fact that they didn't need to have a TV crew or a radio crew in the building. People would have been just as happy to have the in-house camera feeds and to just stream it. In fact, I would argue, and I did argue on Twitter, that I think people would have been more um, willing to pay a small fee to get access to the in-house stream than they would have been for the assembly room tickets that the team was trying to shell out to sell ahead of the, the Flames game. I let me throw this out really quick because 
and you've covered the team for a couple of decades. Bundy, you played for the team. I have to say that as somebody... <laughs> as, I really covered it. <laughs> as somebody who grew up loving the Flyers, as somebody who uh, had no attachment to the organization, I, I walked away after thinking back, I, I was like, am I being too critical of the organization? Am I being too critical of the decision-making process leading up to the game, um, leading up to the alumni game, leading up to the Hall of Fame induction? And this is what I came away with. I think that at this point, if it has not become glaringly obvious to people who don't listen to our show routinely or who don't fall in line to some extent with some of the things that we've said over the years, there has never been a more blatant attempt to cover up, to eliminate, to gloss over, to eradicate the flyers of Ed Snyder's mission, memory, and what he built. And it was on full display. It was an egomaniacal two days. And I say that not because there was somebody who was out in front who was trying to take credit. I'm not saying that Dave Scott went out and tried to rebrand himself as this all-knowing, all-powerful owner. That didn't happen. But what we saw over the last couple of months, and I went back to check because again, I like to be fair was what I would say is either some of the worst gross negligence or incompetence or an absolute hit job, a sabotage of an alumni two-day window that should have been met with um, all kinds of excitement, fur, there should have been commercials galore, there should have been interviews galore, we should have had the airwaves on TV and radio inundated with former players, getting interviewed with constant. I mean, there should have been no doubt, no question about this alumni game taking place. And what I think we saw for the past two months is an attempt by a couple of people or at least one person in the organization who are so hell bent on proving that nobody gives a shit about the alumni or about the Ed Snyder days that they would rather sabotage these two nights to have the optics that no one cares rather than promoting the event. I say that because there were roughly what, six or 7,000 people at Wells Fargo Center for the alumni game. You would think that a, a team or organization that wanted to promote an event would have, I don't know, made an effort to get the word out about the game. I can hear a couple of people right now who will send me texts or DMs who work for the Flyers who get upset every time we're critical. But I just would like to point out really quickly, the Flyers on Twitter have 1.5 million followers. Their tweets have reach. Their tweets have impact. Anybody want to take a guess? And I think I told you guys, so I'll leave this to the listeners. How many tweets did the Flyers send out from September until two days before the Flyers alumni game, specifically about the alumni game? I'm going to let the, the listeners take a second. The correct answer is that over the last two and a half months, the Flyers prior to two days before the event had sent out three tweets mentioning the alumni game, three. They were included or they tagged the Flyers alumni account in 12 tweets over that time, some of which had nothing to do with the alumni game. Some of it had to do with the Warriors games and other Warriors related events that the Flyers alumni were, were tagged in. You have 1.5 million Twitter followers. Three tweets. That's what you gave this organization. That's what you gave the alumni. 
That's what you gave Tockett. That's what you gave Holmgren. You're not that far removed from a time where there was a, a massive sellout. You're not very far away from an aforementioned game when there was an alumni game around the Winter Classic that sold out Citizens Bank Park that people went out to go watch that game. You're not far removed. But this organization is either so just flat out incompetent yeah. or it had such a disdain for people like Bundy, for people like some of the other alumni, for people who had worked in this organization and have been jettisoned to the sun over the last few years because a couple of people or one specific person is such a narcissist that they fire people who had been part of the organization because they want to instill a new kind of like natitude. I'm sorry, attitude on this team. And it's bullshit and it's upsetting because as a fan, as somebody who has loved this team for a very, you know, for my entire life, watching this organization effectively try to push this event and push the hall of fame induction ceremony off to the side so that they could effectively look back on it and say, there it is. There's the proof that no one cares about the alumni. There's the proof that no one gives a shit about the Flyers Hall of Fame. Now they can go back and say, well, look how many more people came to the game the next night. Look how many people were in attendance to watch Flyers Flames. And then go back to the night before, look how few people showed up to the alumni game. No stream, no TV, no radio. No one gave a shit from this organization. In fact, I was so flabbergasted by the fact that they weren't putting this game out. I saw, then I guess it got taken down, that there was somebody who actually went to the game and was trying to live stream the alumni game because the organization did it. What are we doing? What is this organization thinking? So why? Go ahead, Bundy. Let me say something here. Listen, I got fired by this team like a dog. All right, I did. I got fired on the day before Halloween of 2020. Now, I always believe that, you know, you make what you make when a bad situation happens, but I got fired by human resources at four 50 on a Friday afternoon. Okay. This new regime is a dumpster fire. All right. It never ran better than when Sean Tilger was at the helm of this with Peter Luco years ago and Ed Snyder. All right. You cannot recreate those kind of a cast of characters. Let me give you some proof. Okay. Proof is in the pudding. Okay. First of all, the new people, all they give a shit about is their photo ops. That's it. All right. Don't walk out in the alumni picture thinking you're important, that you deserve to be in the picture with the alumni. Most people were wondering what the hell you're doing out there anyway. Number two. Okay. In 2017 for the 50th anniversary, that alumni game was one of the most sold out events in the history of the franchise. I know this but people that work there. Do you know how many calls I get in a single week or text from people that actually work for this new regime for two years and are gone? And everything they say, guys, is how absolutely incompetent they are. They are an incompetent corporate mess. And they're destroying this team every single day. And you know what they just did to Paul and Rick was a disgrace. Be there. You know what they did years ago? Here's how the game was orchestrated when we played, okay? We'd have an earlier warm-up. We'd get back in, they'd flood the ice. The fans were asked to please be in the seats at 6.30. And both teams would come out and they'd watch that ceremony. Both teams would sit there in honor of whoever was being put in uh, for the Hall of Fame. So as you said, 
They and, missed, that was a, and that was a seven. And that was a seven o'clock. Seven o'clock. Start. This is a seven thirty. How they know? They know that attendance has been brutal at the start of Flyers games. Brutal. There's seven brutal. or eight thousand people there some nights. So they know damn well that two guys going in at a six thirty at that night when the game seven thirty. They knew darn well there wouldn't be as many people there, and they did it on purpose. They did it on purpose. As for the alumni game, you know what's funny, guys? You mentioned this the live stream, and I'll finish with this. I was in that the Center City Club, right, with all the other players. And, and people are saying, is it stream? Because guys wanted to know, you know, send it to their families. Uh, you know, Danny McGillis was here as a kid, you know, his family watching Ottawa or wherever it was. And I looked at the bar, you know, those big screens over there, Anthony. That you could have taken the arena feed and streamed that. First of all, if you want to talk about incompetent, the people at NBC Sports are as incompetent as anybody there is in the city. They're clowns that run that place. Right. Complete derelicts. And you know what? That's the way they do it. They would never put that game on air. Secondly, the Flyers should be ashamed of themselves for not doing it. Those are people in the city that love the, every generation of post-Flyers hockey, even the ones that just, you know, the newer guys, uh, the Upshaw Hartnell crew. You know, that, that's part of the Flyer family. And now, and I'll tell you one thing, an organization is nothing without its alumni and having them integrated part of it. So here's my suggestion for moving forward with this. Brad Marsh is an absolute saint of a human being. He has done an incredible job. Every event he does with the people he has on his team are amazing. So here's what I'm going to suggest. Actually, what I'm going to request is I'm going to write, I'm going to write somebody a letter over there, whether it's Dave or the new lady, Valerie. Uh, she, she's not even new anymore. She, she doesn't introduce herself to anybody, so nobody really know her unless you're somebody important. Uh, but from that standpoint, I'm going to write a letter and I'm going to ask that the Flyers disassociate themselves from alumni nights from now on. Uh, from the Hall of Fame induction, separate yourself from it. They wanted nothing to do with it. Uh, they really did. And you could tell by the, by the tweets and, and the connection. And uh, it was obvious to everybody. I mean, the whole city, people were, jo were, were making a mockery of it today. Uh, real Flyer fans were like, well, you know, nobody saw it. That's, that's wrong. That's and there have been, there been questions. The thing. There have been questions the since thing. about where's the stream? Are you going to make it available? Is it going to be on the website? Is it going to be Not on the NBC Sports? Really that, was the thing about last, that was the other thing about the game that, uh, prior to the game. Like last night, while that's going on, they're doing the pregame show with, with Taryn Hatcher and Scott Hartnell. They weren't even showing Tockett and, and, uh, and, and Holmgren, at least not the full thing. Because I mean, they sure both work together. You know that, right? NBC and the Flyers are like, sure. like this. They all, she, you know, either the Flyers push what they want over to them and NBC's like, you know, okay, okay, I'll do whatever you want. And that's probably what happens. That's probably what happens. And, uh, and so that's a content, but to, 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 you know, it was, a, it was one thing I'll say guys, and I, uh, like I said, I'll finish. That was the most important night of the year at Ed Snyder. It was, it was the Hall, Hall of Fame night. It was, it was an ultimate respect. This was treated like, uh, you know, you may as well have had it in Aston, Pennsylvania. I mean, it's shameful. Yeah. I, and you know, and I, I went off on a Twitter rant yesterday about this and, and I'll be honest and I'm not going to say who, but I've got, and I can share it with you guys off record, but I've got DMs in Twitter and text messages from current employees who thanked me, thanked me yeah. for calling out this organization for the way that they handled these last two days. It's an embarrassment that there were 4,000, 5,000 people in the building when Rick Tockett and Paul Holmgren are thanking the fans. It was empty. It was silent. It was it was it was so embarrassing. embarrassing. And these are two guys who were are icons of this organization, yeah. <laughs> icons. And I didn't. You don't have to go back that far. 
well, you remember, Bundy, when Hextall got put in, they actually had the Hextall thing. Um, it was done on a, uh, I believe it was a nationally televised game. So because of that, I think it was NBC was the, was the, was the broadcast partner. They didn't allow um, their, the, the start of the game to be affected by any kind of pregame ceremony. So you couldn't have one before the game. So what they did is they did it at first intermission. They had Hextall at first intermission was when he got inducted. And it ran over the 15 minutes or 17 minutes in between. And the league threatened to fine Ed Snyder. And Snyder said, go ahead, find me. Yeah. Find me. Go ahead. I don't care. They didn't care because what it didn't matter that they were holding up the game from playing, from being played for an extra five minutes. The Ron Hextall mattered and his relationship with the fans mattered. And what the fans thought of him, the opportunity to see him and thank him for all that he did as a player in his yeah. career. That's what mattered. That was the connection that the city and their fans have with the team that was completely shit on yeah. by this organization yesterday. You're so right, Anthony. And that's, that's the part I think that makes me the maddest when I say they're incompetent and they are, uh, they have no clue. First of all, I don't know what leadership, like none of them have a clue about Philly sports zero. Like you, well, you don't, We've had I mean, we've I, had an interaction, Anthony, that we we haven't talked about publicly. And I don't think we should, but we sat down with somebody from from the organization. Not I don't know, it was the start of last year, I think, right, yeah. or midway through the season. Somebody that like we had we had kind of railed against the fact that like the organization was so clueless about Philly sports, about Flyers history, and we sat down with this executive who I'd say is like relatively high up, right, Ant? Like, yeah, right. And we mentioned the fact that the day that we had met with with him was the day of the shift when Claude Giroux lays out Sidney Crosby, right? And Anthony said the shift. Any Flyers fan knows what the shift is. This guy looks at us and goes, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. And so then Anthony goes to explain what the shift is. And he still kind of has this like puzzled expression on his face. And we're like, there it is. That's what we needed. That moment is indicative of a systemic issue with many of the top level executives on the business side, at least with this team. The fact that you wouldn't be aware, one, of what that event was or what that instance was. And two, the organization didn't tweet it out. You know what good teams do with social media? They tend to like to go back and pull from the archives about like this day in X team's history, this event happened, why? because they like to embrace the history of their organization because they know that that does well with the fans. This team? Oh no. Oh no. They won't do that. But I will tell you that I'm sure Gritty has a new promotional video up about Gritty running or, or Gritty riding a motorcycle or Gritty injecting people with the vaccine. But no, they, they wouldn't put out a moment of Flyers history. This is the same thing that we had the issue with with the 9-11 tweet, right? Why would, why the hell would you go back and tweet out a picture of the Flyers and Rangers, you know, interspersed uh, following 9-11? No, you don't do that. You, you put current players with the Twin Towers in the background because that's not toned down. He was on the bench here and I packed me. And honest to God, for like three seconds, I wanted to just rip the head off and drag him onto the ice and pull him around with the helmet off and everything. You should have shot him in the head with the T-shirt. I just wanted to pull the whole helmet right off him and just toss it on the ice. <laughs> try to cover up his face. I know him, too. Good guy. Yeah. 
No, but this, here's here's another thing. I mean, and I think it's also, I think it's not only it's like not only is it that they really wanted to do this, but it, like you mentioned, the incompetence. So obviously, I are they pick the game that they're going to do the Hall of Fame induction. And they say it's Tuesday against Calgary, and that's fine. Um, but what they really shouldn't, if you're going to have that alumni game, why not have it on a Sunday afternoon? There you go. What you have a Saturday night dinner, right? Welcoming all the alumni back. Like an event, maybe something, maybe something special for the season ticket holders to come out and say hi, or you know, see the old alumni. Real nice dinner somewhere, and this doesn't have to be at the arena, so you're getting stupid cheese cheese steaks, right? I mean, it could be like a, a nice place to go Sunday afternoon, so everybody can come. Has no problem getting there with traffic. You're not trying to get there on a Monday after work, right? To 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 kind of be there in time for the game. Like they could have planned it so much better and they just didn't they why didn't. not make it a why not make it a full event like they they like remember how at the beginning of the year they were supposed to do the tailgate that nobody cared about so they canceled it like last right. minute remember that thing yeah, yeah like why wouldn't you to your point on a sunday and like let's take this independent because it doesn't have to happen during football well, season well, it, didn't, it didn't have it didn't have to happen just, this past week but like what if you had done Phillies. a day uh, one well, a day-long to- event like what if you had just done uh, like a tailgate sort of thing or like a, a Flyers alumni weekend thing. Sunday, you get it started early. There's all kinds of camaraderie. You're like, you're mixing and mingling with some of the alumni themselves that weekend itself, right? They go out, they play the day game. You can buy a ticket to just that game or a ticket to the nightcap. You could buy uh, a dual ticket, right? That you would go in, you'd have to leave and then come back in or whatever. I know it's a pain in the ass, but like it happens. It, it happens elsewhere. This is not a shock, right? This, this kind of thing does exist. And then you you have the alumni game in the middle of the day. Again, to your point, you can work in and out, traffic, parking, all that. And then you have the nightcap, which is the game and the alumni, uh, the Hall of Fame induction. Why why couldn't you make a full day out of it? Because isn't that what you should be doing? Like, isn't you don't isn't know that what the they're point? doing? So they're not going to do that. That's what the point is. Somebody has to tell them to do that, but you can't tell them their business when they organize an event. That's the problem. Here's another, let me just get back on the alumni thing, guys. You know, the Flyers alumni golf tournament, the one that coincided with the Warriors Classic this summer. Mm-hmm. Why did the Flyers corporate side have a barbecue in the parking lot the same day as the alumni tournament? It's all about sponsors, isn't it? Yep. Like, you couldn't have had that the next day or the next week. Let's have the corporate barbecue on the same day as the alumni, a Flyers alumni tournament. You don't think the buzz like that goes around that entire golf course when you're there? And it's not coming from any players. It's coming from all the people that work there that are laughing at the Flyers corporate for doing something like that. And, and Bundy, look, I mean, I, I don't know how much you can you can really address here, but you know, didn't didn't they really kind of like take some of the privileges away from the alumni this year? Well, they tried to. I think there was a letter sent, and I don't, I you know what, Anthony, like I, I go down and do these games, and you know, I'm just a lover of hockey. Like I like watching hockey, and my kids right. are in sports, so. To do this with you guys was just an honor and a pleasure. And that's why I want to just keep my foot in the water because you just never know. But I like talking hockey. It's what all I've known, right? That was my job before, you know, she never introduced herself and fired me. That's fine. You know what, too? I also wonder, has an other NHL franchise actually fired more alumni than the Philadelphia Flyers in the last year and a half? Because let's face it, I wasn't the only one. I think everyone else knows who the other one or two may be. Oh, there's been a lot of there. They, they, the Flyers alumni has not been taken care of, especially the ones that have worked for this organization. No, and, and they make it sound like it's like, oh, it was just like a, a retirement or, oh, it's, you know, just moving on. You know, it was mutually decided to move on. No, they fired these people. 
They fired. They got, they got every, every person that you've heard is retired or quit was fired. Yeah. yeah. Everyone. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the truth. And that includes, and I'll say it, I'll be the one, I'll come out and say it. So you don't have to Bundy and Russ doesn't have to do it. I'll put my neck out there. That includes 78 year old Joe Watson who was fired. He was fired. He was fired from his job. 54 years. I worked 27. I never met anybody over there. I never had that Dave Scott come and shake my hand. Not one time after that. Never got a phone call. Thank you. 27 years as a player and a broadcaster. It's a lot of time with one place to get fired on a a thanks or Halloween Eve by human resources. Yeah. Thanks for coming out. (laughs) And that's what that, that honestly is the thing that I thought was so shocking and kind of staggering. And, and listen, he's in a different place right now than I think some of the names that have been mentioned, but like, I listened to Danny Briere at a, a press conference say that no organization treats their alumni like the Philadelphia Flyers. And then I thought back to some of the things that we've talked about. And I thought back to some of the conversations that have been had with other alumni, either on the podcast or off the podcast. And I thought, yeah, that's true, because there are probably no other organizations in all of professional sports that at one time revered and worked to bend over backwards to thank to pay homage to their alumni to build a family environment to build an inclusive culture like that like the flyers only to then piss it all away through either incompetence or for just narcissistic trips for power trips and it's upsetting and i think it's it's very disappointing and here we are you know it i feel like we're at this point now where there have been murmurings uh, there have been murmurings for a couple of years, but there there have been thoughts, there have been rumors out there that at some point there might be interested suitors looking to purchase a hockey team in Philadelphia oh, or looking to purchase please. or purchase please. the building or both. And all I think we can say, and I think we'd all be in agreement is, if that were to happen, it would be the best thing for this team. It would be the same thing that um, Sixers fans for better or worse, for a long time, had hoped that Ed Snyder would sell the Sixers because he couldn't love them as much as he did the Flyers, right? And then they sold. And in actuality, the Sixers, to a large extent, have done well with new ownership, who happen to also own the Devils and the Prudential Center. Now, I don't know how you get there. I don't know if there's a way to divest uh, your, I guess you'd have to theoretically sell the team in the arena in order to get back in. I don't know if the Harrison Blitzer Corporation are interested in buying the Flyers. There have been a few other names that have been bantered about. And I do have to wonder if at some point, someone with a lot of money, with a lot more money, maybe steps down from a position of, of power or prominence and engages this current ownership group in purchasing the team. Because at some point, there has to be somebody who rides in like the white knight and says, I've got to step in. I've got to do something and I have to salvage this and I have to fix it. Because there are too many people who have worked for this organization or who have given their blood, sweat and tears, whether it's on or off the ice, to this organization, to an owner that they had believed in and they put their trust in and felt like they were valued by, for them to all sit back and nobody to step up and take this thing over. Because right now what we are seeing, for better or worse, and I think we can argue is for worse, is that what once was a culture of a family atmosphere, what was a, uh, a group that people really believed in the greater good for, it has been fundamentally piece by piece dismantled over the last few years. 
And at some point you have to hope that somebody can step in before it's stripped away and nothing is left. Yeah. Nope. And I think these last two nights were pretty indicative of the fact that like, if they, if they can sabotage through their own incompetence or willingness, those kind of events, there won't be much left in a few years for a new ownership group to come in yeah. and fix it or to save it. Yeah. And, and, and you know what guys, I, I agree with that. I agree. You know, this is a, this is a franchise and it, it, there's too many family roots and family ties to this flyer organization. It, they were, they were treated to what Ed Snyder created for them. And I've said this on this show when I've, I've spent hours talking to that man over the years when I had just listening to him, when he come in the weather playoff games, he come in and talk to guys. He loved his fans more than anything else in, in the, in, that he had involved with the flyers. The flyers fans were Ed Snyder's passion. I mean, and I, I could tell stories like, you know, like he would protect them from stuff that people would say. I've been in broadcast meetings over the years where, you know, he vo- voices opinion, maybe didn't like something somebody said on a broadcast, uh, you know, and, and told that broadcaster that um, he was passionate, but he loved his fans. And I think that when, when I when you look at this team and again, I think a lot of it will come down to how much Brian Roberts enjoys having a toy team. You know, some got really, really, really wealthy people just love having a team just to have a team. Uh, because they got so much money. So whether or not he wants to part with maybe that ideology that, you know, I'm a team owner, I'm, a, I'm an owner of an iconic brand franchise in the Philadelphia Flyers uh, remains to be seen. But, but I will say this, um, there's not a franchise, I believe, other than this one, or perhaps the Dallas Cowboys that does, that should be more, that should be family owned more than this organization. Family owned meaning, as you said, an individual owner or a small group come in understanding the values of the past you can't just come in here and put corporate people in and extend, especially when they don't even know what they're doing. Like they don't even know the sports in the city. They have no idea the fabric. They have no idea the moves they make or the repercussions that come with them. Um, this was a two day dumpster fire uh, and they're going to have to eat it, unfortunately for them, because no one's going to let them off the hook for it. The entire city saw that last night and it looked like a, it looked like a sabotage of their own party, to be quite honest with you. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I, they, and that was the thing, and that's the thing that riled me up, Bunny, because I remember them all from when I was a kid. From when I was a kid, I remember Bobby Clark uh, getting put into the into the Flyers Hall of Fame, and it was a they made a whole night of it. And they yeah. put it, I remember watching it on TV. We recorded it on VHS, like we saved the VHS recording with Gene Hart inducting Bobby Clark, and Snyder spoke, and Clark spoke, and other people spoke. And they brought back his old teammates, and it was just a really cool event. And you were right; both teams were there. I believe Bobby Clark night. I want to say that it was against Edmonton, but maybe I'm thinking of Pelly Lindbergh night. Anyway, there was there was one that both teams would be out there. And, and, and appreciating it. And that was something that Ed asked the other teams to do. And they respected Ed Snyder enough to say, absolutely, we'll have our guys on the ice as well. Like this is, it was a whole thing. And that crowd would be 17,009 at the spectrum. And they will all be chanting Bobby Clark's name or, or, or doing the Flyers chant. And like, it was just an event. It was an event. And what happened last night was just, I felt so, I felt so bad. So more, I mean, look, I, I know Homer better than I know talk. I know talk too, but I know Homer better than I, I felt so bad for that man that he had, he's put blood, sweat and, and, and tears of 40 years in every role in that organization from player to coach, to assistant GM, GM to GM, to president. president. And he's there with his wife, his kids, his grandchildren, and looking out 
at an empty frigging stadium. That is despicable. Yeah. Incompetence at its highest level. To the one of the most celebrated iconic franchises in the history of sport. Yep. <laughs> That's what the people in charge are running, and they have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. And, and so, so the one thing I want to wrap this how I want to wrap this up because we've been we've been all at this yeah. for a while now. And I, I don't want to I don't want it to just turn into a you know three hour bitch session. Um, although we could go on all day. I mean, there's even more things that we don't we haven't we can't even talk about that we know about about this about what's going on. Um, but uh, I want I, I want to wrap it up with this. Not very many people in this town that do what we do are willing to do what we're doing right now. I don't know if they're afraid of the organization. I don't know if they're afraid of getting their credentials pulled. I don't know what it is, okay? But nobody wants to say anything negative. Nobody wants to look into what's going on and, and seeing what's, what's happening. I can make this promise, and I'm pretty sure that I can speak for the, you two guys and you can answer afterwards. We won't stop. We won't stop holding these people accountable for what they are doing to your hockey team. And I want to make sure that there's a distinction because it's not, we're not talking about the people on the hockey operations side here. No. Okay. We want to, we want to make it very, very clear that there is a distinction. There are, look, the people on the hockey operations side, they'll get praise when they deserve it. They'll get criticism when they deserve it. We're not talking about the product on the ice here. We're talking about the relationship between the organization, the city and its fans and the people in charge of that. We will not stop looking out, being the watchdog, for what they are doing. I don't care what they, they try to pull our, try and pull our credentials. We are not telling anything. We're not telling you anything. That's a lie. We're not exaggerating anything. We are giving you facts. We are giving you uh, the truth. And I can promise you that there are a lot of people, both who've been with this organization in the past, as well as people that are there right now, who thank us on a regular basis for being this diligent about it. And so I promise that the listeners that won't change. Yeah. And you know what, too, guys, so just because we talked about alumni today, like I love what I'm doing now. You know, I get to help people all the time, you know, with addiction issues. So, I mean, I always look at it like, you know, when one road ends, another one picks up for you. And that's the way I've always lived my life, you know, whether it's been in hockey, you know, beating addiction and alcoholism 10, 11 years ago and, and now being able to relay my message, you know, um, that's important stuff for me. And I have no gripes, but what I have seen, though, is a complete difference. And you know what? And here's how you know. Try to get somebody for the Flyers to, to, to counter what we're saying. You won't find anybody to do it. I can think of two things from this episode that somebody will try to counter. So let's make sure that we add context before, you know, we get all kinds of flack from a few people. One, Whatever. The, the Hall of Fame induction ceremony, I can neither confirm nor deny was on TV. I went back to the DVR because I didn't I was putting my kids down for bed, so I didn't get to watch it ahead of time. I know but Anthony part, mentioned Part it. of it was on. I'm not saying okay. that the whole thing was. No, uh, but they I'm were, not they sure were... if it was aired in its entirety, but what right. I can say is if there's somebody else who was in my position who was dealing with bedtime or dinner or is maybe en route to the game and set their DVR for it, you would not have gotten the alumni game. You got like a 36-minute pregame show that I'm assuming started around 7. I cannot, I can confirm that in that 36 minute thing, because I was going through it, it doesn't look like they aired much or any of the Hall of Fame induction ceremony, which you would think would have been. They did air, I believe, a Tocket and maybe a Holmgren interview 
in the pregame thing. So I want to make sure we clear the air there. Yep. The second thing that I could see somebody from the organization trying to counter is the Joe Watson mention. Whether it's a an official fire fire into the sun or it's a forced fire, a there is no place for you. So it's like a forced resignation. It's probably worth noting that distinction as well, just for the, the sake of being fair and balanced here on Snow the Goalie. Because that's what we do here. Thanks, Russ. Thank you. Now, Russ. as Anthony mentioned, we're not going to go out of our way to stop talking about things that are happening with the team. To Anthony's point, the reason that so many people don't talk about these things is because as a sports writer, it's just far easier to stay away from holding any organization accountable. In fact, it's such a rarity in sport that you think about was Rick Westfall, right, was the one who had been reporting the Kyle Beach story. He was the one who had been pretty much blacklisted from asking a question until Rick Westhead, right? Westhead, Westhead, right? Westhead. Yeah. Did, did I say Westfall? Yeah. So he was effectively blackballed on the call until Pierre Lebrun set, stepped up and, and noted the fact that he hadn't been called on. That's one guy who covers a story that's related to hockey, who isn't necessarily a hockey reporter. Think about how rare it is that somebody reports on a misgiving to do with an organization. And that's obviously like a very, very, very extreme case. But you don't see teams getting reported on off the ice in many markets at all. But especially in this one, where things have been done to an egregious extent, or where there is the opportunity to critique an organization for the way that they went about their alumni weekend or their alumni two nights, you won't find it. You won't see it because there are so many people who are just, I think afraid, I think afraid is probably a safe word to use here about repercussions that could fall out as a result. And there are people who would rather ingratiate themselves to the new regime at the expense of reporting things the, the right way. And so I don't expect that you're going to see many critical pieces. I have not seen many critical pieces of last night's Hall of Fame induction ceremony about the timing. What you will probably see, I would assume if it hasn't happened already, is a Marcus Hayes or a Mike Sealski who are going to write as a, uh, an opinion writer or as a columnist, but you probably won't see any of the beat writers, we'll say, for any of the, the major outlets showing any kind of critical nature. They won't happen. And maybe that's right. Maybe that's wrong. I don't know. For people who are listening, I'm sure that there are going to be some who tuned out at some point because they didn't want to hear about the warts that exist currently with the organization. It's not of interest in they care about the hockey part, which is why we covered that off the top. But at some point, you have to ask if you're a fan or if you're somebody who cares about the organization, are the people in charge doing their best? And are they doing justice to the team that you spend money on, that you put your time out for, whether it's watching the games, you put your money out for as the holiday season approaches, are they doing you a service or are they doing you a disservice? Are they doing a service or a disservice to the people who have worked for this team for a long time or had worked for this team for a long time or for the alumni? And if you decide, no, they're doing a disservice, then you have to make your voice heard. It can't just be us. And there are people, by the way, who have held the organization accountable on Twitter and have gotten blocked by the Twitter account for the team that they love and care about. There are a few people who have DM'd us or have tagged us in tweets over the last couple of months saying, Flyers Twitter account blocked me because I was critical of some of the things that they've done or said. 
I don't know, guys. I'm just saying. It's easy to mute somebody. Why the hell is it professional sports team going out of their way to block people on Twitter? It's not run by Jake Voracek, right? Like, I'm pretty sure he's not the one controlling the Twitter account. So. And, and one, one final note. Um, it says, this says, this is a completely separate thing, but kind of ties into what they've been doing. Um, and we don't really have to dive into it here on this episode. We can, so we've already, it's already a long enough episode. We can talk about the next time. But if you go to my, um, my story today on Crossing Broad, um, uh, after we get through like the Flames, Flyers, Flames stuff, I, I talk you know, a lot about the game. Um, the Flyers unveiled yesterday a new commercial. And uh, in the commercial, um, it starts off with uh, these two guys walking into the Wells Fargo Center men's room. And one guy lets the other guy go ahead of him because he can only pee at his lucky urinal, which suddenly glows when the camera zooms in on it. And then after the camera pans past a bunch of guys who are relieving themselves, which includes one guy you know, tapping the back of his own thighs, right, which is kind of awkward. Um, our guy who was waiting for his special urinal, um, he, he steps up to it. Uh, and the other guy's still standing next to him, you know, and then there's a, the goal horn sounds. And uh, he looks over at him with a smile on his face and says, um, it works all the time. It happens, you know, it works every time that this uh, lucky urinal. Um, what, what's the message that we're going for here? <laughs> like, what, what are we trying to, to do? I, I, I really just have absolutely nothing to say about that. That's just weird. Like, what are we going for? <laughs> like, for God's sake, just market the players, please. Put a pick. Kevin Hayes' goal last night, pointing up yeah. to the sky. You know, because uh, you thank you know for his brother, and then that saying afterwards that he's giving the puck to his nephew and his most memorable goal of his life. That should be a that should that little vignette, which they did a nice job on Twitter. The Flyers said, give him credit. There was a nice little tweet that they put out about 15 seconds long, kind of combining yeah. the the goal with uh, Hayes' interview after the game. Put that on a commercial and sell tickets and see which one gets a better response. The guy peeing. Or Kevin Hayes. I, I, I'm going to side with Kevin Hayes. I think you're probably right. I would be, totally agree with that. But anyway, that's all, Rush. You can all wrap right. it up from here. I, I, yeah, I was going to say, I, I, think it's probably, I think it's probably time that we, we take a moment away now. We, we wrap this thing up. We thank people for listening because we know that people are, are hanging on to the ends of episodes. We like analytics on this show, especially when it pertains to the podcast <laughs> and the people who stick around. So big thank you, as always, to the many of you. The very high percentage, believe me, incredibly high percentage of people who stick around to the very last word. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Cetarian6, at Ant San Philly, at Joy on Broad. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at SnowTheGoalie, Facebook.com slash SnowTheGoalie. You can find everything that we write about over on CrossingBroad.com. And at some point, this episode will also be available to watch over on YouTube.com slash CrossingBroad. There's a special little Snow the Goalie playlist. So you can go back and watch old episodes. You can watch the interview that we did uh, a week ago with Paul Holmgren, now the Flyers Hall of Famer, and the episode that you two fine gentlemen did. By the way, that episode took so long to edit because Anthony's mic was so blown out. I was right. I was worried when I got on the call with you guys very late last week that it was going to take a while. It took like an hour to just constantly adjust up and down every time Ant talks insanity but you know what we do it and why because we love you the listeners 
the viewers of Snow the Goalie. And I'm glad your mic was fixed. I'm glad it was working better today. Good on and you, I was, just, I, I was just feeling better, Russ, after letting all that out. Now I'm pissed mm -hmm. off at you again. Here we go. Hey, you know, on a positive <laughs> note, we can, uh, I'll, I'll go get Phil Kydell from the site to start talking to you about <laughs> hockey, the Hockey Hall of Fame, because I'm sure that that won't get you riled up or anything. So on that bombshell, we'll end for this week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you again next week, unless there's some big move or something that happens. But we'll talk to you again next week here on the Only Flyers podcast, Snow the Goalie. Talk to you next week.